Let's go to space. I'm AK5A. This week's episode is a presentation by Michael Thomas on Whitehead and Sociology, delivered as part of the 7th Berlin Conference of Young Religious Philosophers, entitled God and Nature, Perspectives in Whitehead. It was recorded February 15, 2014, at the Berlin Catholic Academy. It was organized by the Hanover Institute of Philosophical Research and the German Whitehead Society. You can see the proper German titles of the various organizations, including links and works cited at letsgotospace.com. I now turn the show over to Mike, the organizer of the event speaks first. Whitehead, everybody had a chance about to introduce him or herself, and we had plenty of time to mix and mingle and get to know each other. So without further ado, I would like uh, to ask you to give us your presentation, which we are um, looking forward to. Thank you. In his work, Alfred North Whitehead and Social Theory, A Culture of Thought, Michael Halewood labels Whitehead as the most sociological of philosophers, both for his view that all enduring things are societies and for his belief that, quote, one major role of theory is to challenge the deepest preconceptions and assumptions which permeate our attempts to understand and explain the world. In this presentation, I would like to contribute a third element to this description of the sociological dimension of Whitehead's work, namely that his desire to challenge our preconceptions about the world aims to orient our experience to a perspective of ourselves acting in concert with others for the construction of a harmonized reality. In his critique of the bifurcation of nature, Whitehead insists that this fallacy is not only a theoretical problem. It challenges our perception of nature as a field of activity permeated with value and meaning. By shifting to a processual view, we see all activity as the achievement of value experience, an urge toward satisfaction guided by felt contrasts between what is actual at present and desire for the future. Within this process, God provides the initial envisagement of possibilities, preserving all potentials and graded relation to one another, and is the source of final comparison. Whitehead's notion of civilization captures the collective attempts of entities in the world to achieve perfection that they perceive through God's envisagement. Particularly in Adventures of Ideas, it's presented as the human attempt to construct a common world that owes its form to the activities of the individuals who compose it. Taken together, these notions demonstrate that human civilization and its exploration of the physical world through science, the ideal world of religion, and the everyday activities in which we are involved is an aesthetic project. When I say the social philosophy of Alfred North Whitehead, I mean to emphasize the way in which Whitehead's cosmological shift from substance to process leads to a portrait of reality as a field of relational being. The cosmology presented in Process and Reality is Whitehead's attempt to generate a conceptual schema in which we can interpret all aspects of experience. The notion of interpretation used here is important as it implies an immediate shift in our understanding of experience. Along with the process of discovering and classifying concrete facts, we require processes of generating concepts that allow us to organize our observations while leaving a space for further revision and clarification. Through this combination, we should understand that knowledge does not subsume reality, it evolves with it, as new aspects are disclosed to observation, making more available in experience. Rather than give an exhaustive view of Whitehead's metaphysics, I'd like to focus on three key concepts that show how his understanding of process shifts us from a dead world organized by mechanical principles to a living world that invites us to relate to it in a variety of ways. It's this shift that initially categorizes Whitehead's process philosophy as social philosophy. The first transition from bifurcated knowledge and the resulting bifurcated experience requires us to shift away from substances to white, what Whitehead terms actual entities or actual occasions 
as the final real things of which the world is made up. What changes in the move towards actual entities is that we're no longer drawn to start with endurance as the foundation of observation, but with activity. Actual entities are actual in the sense that their activity of becoming and perishing is responsible for the world's concreteness. Thus, the position that actual entities are the final real things of which the world is made up means that our understanding of the world is grounded not on what is settled, but the occurrences that settle things. The second shift involves transitioning from an analysis of qualities of entities to their prehensions of one another. Prehensions are relations formed between entities, albeit with a strange character, namely that they involve emotion and purpose, valuation and causation. The analysis of actual entities into their prehensions shows not what an actual entity is, but how it is in relation to other things. In other words, its qualities are not characteristics in a traditional sense. They're exemplifications of how an entity functions relative to its surroundings. The addition of emotion, purpose, valuation, and causation invoked in the definition of prehensions is Whitehead's way of showing that there's no such thing as neutral activity. The inclusion and exclusion of features of existence show that experience and action are characteristics of its value for the entity under examination. So the notion of value here associated with feeling is highly significant. First, because it gives a subjectivity to all existence. Plants, rocks, molecules, and humans all feel their world in some way, and this feeling is the ground for valuation and experience. While this feeling is more complex in some entities than others, it means that even inorganic entities have some level of value experience. Second, it provides a point of synthesis between knowledge, experience, and reality, in the sense that knowing, sensing, and being are each reflected in the activity of entities understood as abstraction. An entity's feeling of the world involves inclusion or exclusion, a positive prehension or a negative prehension. This process of valuation and abstraction includes the individual activity appropriating the world for itself in a particular way, while being later appropriated by others. This notion of abstraction applies to concepts of science, where what we see is partially dependent on the aims of our observation and the system under which we observe, to experience where we attend to aspects exclude others based on our interests and to the composition of reality, which forms relations in some directions but not others to achieve satisfaction. Thus, knowledge, experience, and reality are all imbued with a sense of value for the individual and for the whole. This indicates that all actual entities are occasions of experience, and all occasions of experience are occasions of value experience, which means that experience is always value experience. The third key shift, the introduction of societies, synthesizes the individuality of actual entities and the relations of feeling into what we normally assume to be substantial endurance. The concrescence of actual entities ties their individual becoming with what they include and exclude from others and how they are included and excluded in other occasions. If in their feeling of one another, actual entities share a defining characteristic, they form a society. And if the society has a line of temporal inheritance or a personal order, it forms an enduring object. This incredibly abstract definition of society allows Whitehead to make two important steps. First, it allows him to solidify the activities of actual entities over time into enduring things, which shared, share a de certain definite form, while still being divisible into smaller societies that give the larger society shape. Thus, in the physical life of a man, the body and its wanderings form a society with a particular order, and the life of his individual organs are also enduring societies contributing to the endurance of man over the course of his journey. In the second place, the wide generality of the notion of societies gives us a space to further generalize relations between entities into a wider field of social relations. In the same way that the body of a man is a social environment for the life of the kidney, the man exists in a wider social environment that permits his existence and contributes to his character. 
In other words, reality is a society composed of other societies, each acting together for their own endurance relative to the endurance of other things. The world, in short, is ultimately social. From this perspective, we see that the social philosophy of Alfred North Whitehead begins before any reference to human society or civilization. The activity of beings in their spatial and temporal relations is fundamentally social, referring to the feeling of the entity in relation to its own personal society and the societies that surround it. This soci sociality extends itself to a wider contrast of feeling, to the notion of God, to which I'll turn now. The notion of God in Whitehead is both a sociological in our standard sense of the term and metaphysical significance. A metaphysics, science, and society converge in Whitehead's theory of religion, which views the search for the definition of God as a process of the human search for a wider sense of value beyond the particular instances of life. It involves the application of knowledge of the world into individual character that justifies action and gives it meaning. If we remain committed to a non-bifurcated nature, this means that conceptual activity is also included in nature, that potentialities or eternal objects are also present to be discovered in the world. This notion of God in both his primordial and consequent natures accounts for this presence. God in his primordial nature is, quote, the unconditioned conceptual valuation of the entire multiplicity of eternal objects. The three transitions from a substantial nature to a processual nature, from nature dead to nature alive, still lack an explanation of the presence of possibilities. If we take a creative universe as our presupposition, that there is more to nature than meets the eye, then there must be some form of actuality that includes the possibilities available for an occasion of experience. This actuality cannot be creativity itself, since creativity is indeterminate. It describes the activity of entities moving from a settled past in present activity towards a future to be determined. Thus, in the same way that the activities of entities assumes the presence of a physical social order to which they relate, there must also be a conceptual order present for repetition. This conceptual order is found in the primordial nature of God, Thus, in contrast with the incompleteness of the processual actual world, there exists a God which gives the world determinants of form. God's envisagement of the world provides a field of potentials graded in relation to one another based on their potentiality for exemplification in the actual world. As such, God emerges as the initial appetition towards novelty, making him, quote, the lure for feeling and the eternal urge of desire, end quote. The consequent nature of God secures this relation between the physical and mental world by serving as the grounds for comparison between what is and what might be. Just as the conceptual apprehension of the world by God is the primordial ground for each creative act, the consequent activity of the world reflects back upon God in its actualization. Thus God is the beginning and end point of all transition is the grounds for feeling the contrast between actuality and possibility. It is in this function as the site of contrast that God becomes the locus of appetition in the world standing as a felt differential between what is and what's desired. In other words, appetition is not blind, but emerges from a felt contrast between a present state of affairs and a possible future state. So in terms of the discussion of value experience above, God is thus the grounds of aesthetic experience in the sense that the world is not simply felt as value, it's felt as a contrast between the past and future that sets the ground for the activity of the present. In simpler terms, it's the differential between mental and physical experience. Um, when a plant bends towards sunlight, for example, it seeks nourishment through feeling the contrast between its state of depletion and the potential for satisfaction available through the heat of the sun, which lies in close proximity. What this example should show is that this process of feeling is not psychological per se, but can become so with the development of the ability to abstract from present concern. So this rendering of aesthetic experience ties closely with Whitehead's theory of the emergence of religion as the separation of man from his basic needs to the contemplation of higher forms of perfection. 
The search for God on this account is the attempt to achieve, achieve a form of perfection more in line with his envisagement of greater intensity of harmony. So in Whitehead's view, religion rests on what he says is the direct intuition of values found in experience, which includes one, the value of the individual for itself, second, the value of diverse individuals of the world to each other, and third, the value of the objective world, which is a community derivative from the interrelations of its component individuals for the existence of each of these individuals. And this is the breakdown he gives in um, Religion in the Making. These characteristics are directly derived from the metaphysical formulation discussed earlier in a certain sense. There's a self-valuation of the actual entity of experience, the valuation of entities by one another that sets the stage for their self-satisfaction, and the value of the whole in which they all participate. What's unique for religion is that its ideality positions it to discern higher realms of quality and experience that should issue in the formation of individual character. In moving from the individual to the whole and back again, there's a discernment of a more general sense of the rightness of things, of perfection partially conformed to but partially missed, and the desire for further perfection in experiences to come. Thus, religion for Whitehead is what man does with his solitariness. Its development is a process of enriched individual experience in relation with an expanding world community. In its progressive function, religion is the production of world loyalty, he says, the communion of individual values with those of an extended community of others. So in one example, Whitehead associates the rationalization of religion with the wanderings of men who, once greater global interaction as possible, made contact with foreign groups and developed familiar relations. And through this commerce, there's a transition from group preservation to an essential rightness beyond the group, and a feeling of communion with others as a wider extension of the community of valuable beings. There's an extension of sort of the field of concern. And the universality of this feeling results from a wider feeling of feeling included in the lives of individuals through their notions of the value of the world and of other selves. So taken together, the notions of God and religion presented in Whitehead can join the understanding of reality as a social process with the pursuit of a wider sense of value in the social world. In the same way that God includes a larger sense of value and possibility beyond what's been physically experienced, there's also a greater sense of the intrinsic value or shared emotion in the formation of a wider sense of concern for other beings. Thus again, experience is expanded into a deeper sense of value through a broader vision of the world. And this active formation of societies through this process is ultimately characteristic of what's called civilization. My thesis is that the notion of civilization raised by Whitehead in Adventures of Ideas and Modes of Thought synthesizes the understanding of sociality of nature with the drive for perfection found in God to characterize human social activity as a collective aesthetic project. For Whitehead, civilization is a mode of thought, a way of viewing the world in terms of its relationality and the value of experience that underlies it. We see this by unpacking two of the definitions he provides in Adventures of Ideas, the first being that I put forth as a general definition of civilization that civilized society is exhibiting the five qualities of truth, beauty, adventure, art, and peace, and the second definition, thus in its broadest sense, art is civilization. For civilization is nothing other than the unrelenting aim at the major perfections of harmony. Through these definitions, we see that civilization, as a speculative generalization, is not a static state of things. It is a perspective of the world cultivated by metaphysical understanding, which has the achievement of harmony as its aim. So as a perspective on reality, civilization is the recognition of the value of all experience as coordinated through individuals and the wholes that they compose. This notion combines the understanding of nature as social value experience 
with the notion of God as the urge that drives the world towards perfection into a feeling that, quote, we are each of us one among others and all of us are embraced in the unity of the whole, end quote. On the side of Whitehead's metaphysics, this feeling emerges from the nature of experience's value experience, maintaining a certain intensity for all of its members. If we're capable of making the mental jump away from a bifurcated dead nature to a perspective on the world as process, this jump should orient our vision of the world towards the value of the individual parts to one another, the parts among one another, and the totality which these parts compose in their collective action. This isn't an automatic change in vision. A felt experience of civilization requires something more, a collective drive towards a kind of harmony or perfection that aims at the good of the whole as well as the good of the members, which emerges in our activity and not our mere presence. It's this drive which brings God into the frame, or as it's rendered in the sociological discussion of adventures of ideas, the eros of the universe. The inclusion of God of the eros amplifies this metaphysical perspective of the world to include the ideals instantiated in human and non-human activity. These ideas named truth, beauty, art, adventure, and peace are regulative properties that give a particular trajectory to activity. They're ideals in the sense that they are perfections towards which actual entities strive, which can be amplified through directed activity. So truth, the correspondence between appearance and reality is found in our ordinary feelings of experience, in the confirmation between the past and the future, or in the correspondence between our descriptions of reality experience, or, and experience, or so in symbolism. It implies a relation between the interpretation performed in an occasion of experience and its conformity with the world is felt. Beauty, in its basic sense, is the harmony to which our ideals of truth refer, that there's an order of the world to which our experience refers, and that our pursuit of the truth is the aim at capturing this harmony and eliminating errors in interpretation or forms of discord that we may experience through our interpretations. There is, however, a higher form of beauty in occasions of experience, which involves the introduction of novel contrasts that increase the massiveness and intensity of our value experience. The achievement of this form of beauty requires us to feel the contrast between a reality and appearance in such a way that our interpretation produces novel contrasts that eliminate points of discord in experience and transmute them into higher forms of harmony. And it's this kind of transmutation that Whitehead has in mind when he claims that art is civilization. So art, as the synthesis of truth and beauty, adds relevance to the harmony of the whole, to the particularities of truth, giving truth significance and beauty massiveness. In other words, the whole heightens the feelings for the parts, and the parts heighten the feelings for the whole and for each other. Art thus gives us representations of the world that allows us to see new connections and contrasts in experience, and cultivates an aim towards adventure, or the search for new contrasts and possibilities. A common example lies in the experience of reading a powerful work or liter of literature or philosophy. In doing so, there's a resonance with the reader, generating questions and avenues for exploration that have yet to be asked or explored. So great art produces adventure, the pursuit after novel truth that underlies the aim of Whitehead speculative philosophy. The final civilized ideal, peace, is harder to define, and Whitehead himself admits that it's beyond the control of purpose, that it, quote, comes as a gift. Peace is, most generally, that harmony of harmonies which calms destructive turbulence and completes civilization. At best, I would say that it's a feeling of God in the world or an overriding harmony that absorbs and preserves a zest for life in the face of discord. What makes peace, as well as adventure, difficult to define is that their disposition is characteristic of a vision of the world that accompanies civilized society, 
which facilitates the continued pursuit of the existence of something greater through an investigation of the particularities of existence. So they're not features which are constructed or built. They're signs of health or progress in the advancement of societies through time. This drive towards adventure and the calming of peace gives us another aspect of civilization as an aesthetic project. It's not simply that we're involved in a process of constructing experience through the unity of truth and beauty in artistic creation. They establish a subjective form of experience, that there's value in approaching others and ourselves as having equal worth while remembering a certain general harmony that ties us together. Thus, with our projects and their consequences, like the primordial and consequent nature of God, there's action and reaction as our particular ideals are further defined in light of the higher conceptions of the world around us and the actions we perform to bring it about. Our existence, which lies between both of these levels, means that we're each involved in a process of civilization which at its highest is a collective aesthetic project. In conclusion, the social philosophy of Alfred North Whitehead, seen as a description of the relativity of things tied together in relations of value, comes with an equally social purpose, the maintenance and intensification of value experience for all of its members, human and non-human. This purpose is not without its problems. Peace is not the absence of strife or discord. It's the recognition of evil as imperfection and the drive towards a positive harmony that would eliminate evil as much as possible. In this way, our individual sociality is a matter of cultivating peaceful and adventurous dispositions in ourselves and in our projects that generates a similar experience of the world to others. This is perhaps why, in his investigation of the different modes of thought that characterize his era of civilization, Whitehead took an interest in education, the training of professionals, the rationalization of religion, and the synthesis of scientific fact with religious insight. In each of these areas, the aim is to generate a higher synthesis of thought that would enrich experience and guide civilization to harmonious modes of togetherness. So in the same way that the God is the poet of the world, we are his rhapsodes, creating in our own way to reflect the perfection seen in God for the cultivation of his earthly community. The achievement of such an end requires us to see the relationship that our own individuality bears to other members of the community of the earth and to guide our acts with the aim of higher forms of perfection, a community of greater harmony that animates its members towards collective action in the pursuit of goodness. Vielen Dank für Ihre Geduld und Aufmerksamkeit. I would like to thank you for this contribution to our colloquium, very clear and stimulating talk on, on Whitehead, and especially connecting his philosophy religion not only to his cosmology, but also to the social philosophy. So the floor is open. Question might be asked in German, but then we would need to translate them. So if you feel free uh, and easy and comfortable in the idea to ask in English, please do so. Michael, uh, thank you so much for your inspiring talk. I mean, uh, it's, it's, what, it's just fascinating how you expanded uh, Whitehead's cosmology into the Soviet theory. So uh, I have three questions. And uh, the first thing is, I couldn't help thinking of George Herbert Meadsburg when you said that the world, in Whitehead's view, is ultimate social. Yeah. And, and I admit, I mean, we had, we talked, and well, it's the way you did. I wonder, how would you relate the action theory-based critique of the modern bifurcations of nature and experience with Whitehead's speculative attempt to find the high road around those artificial separations? And 
course, I mean, despite the fact he's very independent to pragmatism, so on so forth, he's fundamental. He has a fundamental different approach. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so yeah. It, the other thing is, um, I was wondering, uh, what's if there if Josiah Royce played any role for Whitehead? Because it is so striking to me that his attentiveness to the collective dimensions of religion and religious experience, which uh, contradicts directly William James' work, uh, well, in its fundamentals. And but I mean, Royce would be the man to look for. And I was wondering if this, this is just a parallel development, so Whitehead and untouched, or is there an exchange? And the third one, um, picking up one of the questions uh, I had to answer. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, Chris, I, 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 I want to learn. I want to learn. So, I didn't, yeah. So you said, why the theory of the emergence of religion uh, discloses new values mm -hmm. found in experience? And so, would you say those values are only accessible through religious experience? Or is religious experience just a mode of discovering mm -hmm. those values? Thank you. Okay, these are huge questions. All right, so with regard to your first question and the relationship between Whitehead and me, that's actually, since I've been studying that connection, that's probably a lot of the me also seeping its way into my interpretation of Whitehead. And the issue that you raise on this difference between Whitehead's speculative approach, and I'm guessing the other point being Mead's kind of pragmatist approach, is that what I end up doing with the two when I talk about them is saying that really why I'm advocating this kind of shift to thinking about Whitehead in concert with social theory is that we need a bit of Whitehead speculation to really start to ask this question about the place of values. Because Mead gets close to, I think, what at least I'm looking for at the end of mind, self, and society, where he's identifying this sort of social feeling of value in kind of this communal feeling that he associates with religion and this kind of social feeling in a structural sense with economics. But I think even sort of seeing both of these sides in those light doesn't do enough to really generalize this concept of value. And there's also the issue that there's problems with meat in dealing with the non-human and, and animals. So I end up actually taking Whitehead's speculative approach to be maybe a better avenue to add something new to this pragmatist philosophy that could take it in social theory to a different level. Um, with regard to the question of Royce, I'm actually not sure if it's a parallel development or if he has a relation to it. So if anybody else is a better historian of pragmatism and Whitehead, I'd be interested to hear the answer to that. Um, and with regard to this third question of whether or not religion is the only way of accessing these values, I think that's what I end up doing is why I make this connection between religion and aesthetic experience is I think that really it's that religion is one of the avenues in sociology, or in, not in sociology, but in social life where we see this happening. But there's other forms of aesthetic experience like art is the other example I use that sort of can bring new values to life. So sort of thinking about religion and the pursuit of God also in concert with sort of art and the pursuit of sort of truth and beauty and these other values are both kind of 
secular and then religious ways of thinking about how we come to cultivate a disposition that lets us see something a bit greater. So yeah, and the issue with conflict is that it's sort of, it's always present in Whitehead's notion, but even when he's sort of at his idealistic, at his most idealistic, there's still the presence of something like tragedy, for example, at the end of Adventures of Ideas. And there's a sense in some other places that sort of what brings progress along in, along in certain directions is conflict, and that you need a certain amount of destruction to sort of shift from one social form to another. So. In that sense, I see it as kind of something that's necessary along with this idea of harmony that I'm pushing so hard on just because I'm in my own brain so idealistic. But it's that sort of, that this idealism doesn't mean that you're actually going to create at some end point this giant um, coming together of everyone to where we can hold hands and love one another, but that we sort of accept conflict as a part of the process of existence and sort of, if we're being responsible, perhaps pick our battles wisely. Um, in relation to this idea of the state or unions and these sorts of social organizations, it's, yeah, I haven't, I think, and this is, I'm glad you asked this question because it forces me to think about it now, really thought about sort of what social institutions look like once you start to bring Whitehead's metaphysics to bear on social theory. Um, and being in Chicago, I'm from Chicago. Oh, yeah, I'll say it now. I'm actually a union member. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but what it comes down to then is sort of, I think, hmm, thinking about maybe institutions as not representations of gatherings of perspectives to a certain degree. In the sense that, like, so in my experience of working, and I'm a, a member of an adjunct teacher's union as an adjunct teacher, and I was also doing grievance work, which means that if someone has a problem, I'm the one who has to go deal with the administration and human resources. And sort of what the interactions seem to show is that there's this certain amount of, that the institutions on one part are structurally defined in, in terms of certain principles, but that within this structure, and this is maybe the question I have to stare at when I'm looking at Whitehead. There's also this notion that the structure is ultimately upheld by the perspectives of the people involved who help to define the values of the institution and how that institution begins to sort of put its values either in, conf in conflict with other institutions and other systems that they end up involving themselves with. So yeah, I don't, I don't think I have a better answer than that at the moment, but that's definitely, thank you for asking that question because that's definitely something I should be thinking about more. Put myself on the list because I'm, I'm really uh, excited by this um, approach here, or the way you uh, presented Whitehead's approach that a connection between social philosophy and philosophy religion is, is based on a, let's say, a more thorough um, cosmology because that avoids or prevents um, 
religion being functionalized for social purposes, social purposes being or just being moralized, a moralizing account of the purpose of religion and God's talk in, in the public realm, so to speak. But you also mentioned some of the, the problems and the way how to deal with conflict is one of them. So I want to just throw into other, let's see, um, let's say accounts or ways to deal with social theory and that would, or, or normative purpose, and that would be the idea of justice and the idea of, of, of right. Mm -hmm. um, because I mean, if you base your social account and the interaction between religion and, and uh, institutions on such a kind of metaphysics like in, like in Whitehead, it seems that there is no final place for the finitude of social agents, so, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And would that undermine certain uh, con concepts of justice? But justice is based on the fact that we share a common interests, that we share a common uh, uh, ground under the perspective that we are finite beings, mm -hmm. so to speak, and that we need some kind of external forces who regulate, who distribute and, and mediate between the interests. So when the concept of, of justice in, let's see, in a Kantian way, it would collapse if we have this kind of infinite uh, idea of the, the participants of the social agents. And then, of course, goes together with the idea of, of, of rights, based on the idea of obligations, that we have, might have moral duties and that, we have some, that there are some unconditional rights people enjoy and that mm -hmm. our social institutions should be based on, let's say, human rights or basic civil rights. Because if, if you have such a, a strong perfectionist account of the human being and its uh, place in the cosmos, so to speak, then um, the idea that every institution and every social arrangement should, yeah, in a way, serve to the perfection of that mm -hmm. being, in a way, tries to undermine, uh, could be in conflict with something like, like um, yeah, unconditioned duties. I mean, to give a mm -hmm. simple example, I mean, how politics or how social institutions should deal with art, for example. Mm -hmm. If art is a means of perfection, then you would maybe tend as a social institution to be more in favor of a kind of the elitist conception of art. Mm -hmm. While if you treat uh, art or po a political stance to art under terms of justice and right, you would say, well, it's all about equal distribution and equal access mm -hmm. uh, to, to art as a commodity. So, just as an illustration, so again, if you have an anthropology based on a cosmology which uh, seems every entity in the end of be as being something infinite or infinite relation, mm -hmm. um, doesn't that undermine uh, standard political conceptions based on justice and, and, and rights which presuppose the finitude of humans? Yeah. Okay, so I think it could, and I think the art example is a really good one, because as I was looking at Whitehead's conception of art, he has this idea that sort of art for art's sake isn't a proper justification, because okay. it has a particular aim, um, which I'm still not sure if it doesn't perhaps lead to kind of maybe an elitist view of art, and that's a question I'm teasing out. Um, as far as maybe perfectionism kind of undercutting the finitude involved in the conception of justice and right. Mm -hmm. I don't think it necessarily has to in the sense that it still sort of functions as an ideal. And kind of what I'm trying to work towards, especially towards the end of the paper, and I think it doesn't come off since I don't ever get concrete enough, is this idea that perfection is ultimately then an ideal. It's something that's aimed at in the future, but we still need concepts like right and justice since we, for our part, are finitude. It's just that sort of the trajectory of these concepts and sort of how they're treated and what we talk about when we debate them then has to have in mind perhaps this ideal of something like civilization, which means 
this wider form of experience. Because it's, and this is one of the problems I end up raising um, when I teach classes in political theory, is that sort of, when we read a lot of theory from, say, de Tocqueville towards um, Du Bois, Simone de Beauvoir, there's this tension between our concepts of right and justice as they're deployed, <laughs> and the fact that with the experience that there are larger people besides white Anglo-Saxon males, there has to be an illusion of these others. And then that sort of, now when we think about animal ethics and animal rights, that there has to be a way of including these things. So that's sort of then, that's what perfection does, is kind of drives us towards the expansion of these concepts okay. for a wider sense of inclusion. Thanks, let's go. Um, thank you very much for your contribution. Um, you mentioned that you are, um, that you are focused also on the theory of um, uh, of creative action mm. of uh, Hans Joas um, uh, in your PhD uh, project, and um, uh, how could you give me a hint how you try to combine the Whitehead's uh, understanding of activity and <laughs> creativity <laughs> with the theory of creative uh, action of Hans Joas, and where do you think where are the limitations mm -hmm. of it? That's, ah, oh, that's, if I had a really oh, good yeah, answer to that, hmm? no, if I had a good answer to that question, I was Even about so. to say, yeah, the, uh, the conclusion would probably be written, because that's still sort of the problem that I'm having, it's kind of, I ended up following his work on the theory of creative action since I saw bits of Whitehead emerging in sort of his use of Talcott Parsons as the critique of rational action and sort of the emergence, and then what he does with need and sociality. And I haven't quite worked out yet, I guess, if I'm in agreement or disagreement, and how that's sort of going to work out, because he's doing things, I think, in a different way. So that's actually, I'm, yeah, I don't have a better answer to that question, but it's something I do need to look into. So be prepared for disagreement. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, yeah, we don't have a defense, but you do have to give a lecture. And that's normally what happens in the lecture, right. that's when these conflicts emerge. Chicago <laughs> to make the contributions was very helpful and uh, inspirational and uh, good luck with your work. We are looking forward to the to the thesis <laughs> and this publication. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Very much.